This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we begin chapter 22. Jesus now tells another parable that sheds insight into many areas of the kingdom of God and salvation. The parable is simple in nature, though the idea of a king and a summons-style invitation may be foreign to us. But the story behind the story is the glimpse at God's character, his kindness, his mercy, his holiness, and his grace. These four traits all demand a response, and our response will determine our eternal destiny. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So follow along with me if you have your Bibles in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14, the parable of the wedding feast. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their own way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite them to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they could find, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there that was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let us consider four questions here concerning the attributes of God so that we can diagnose our spiritual health. See, when you go to the doctor, the doctor asks you questions about your particular condition and how you answer those questions will reveal to the doctor the problem that you have and will help you and the doctor, more the doctor, diagnose the problem and help you adjust your life so that you can address the problem. That's exactly what we're doing here today. The great physician is asking us those questions through the revealing of his word. And I just wanna, I want us to consider four particular questions regarding the attributes of God. The first one is this, from verses 1 through 2. How do you respond to divine kindness? The listeners would have correctly associated this fictitious king, the fictitious monarch, with God the Father and the Son with Jesus Christ. And the reason we know that is because previously and elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus was compared to a bridegroom. So we see the, the connection right there. Matthew 9, 15, for example, and in John 3, verse 29 as well. But notice that the king had pre-invited the first group of guests. It's not that they were surprised by the invitation. They already knew they had been expected to attend this wedding feast. Now the slaves come in and remind them, look, the feast is about to happen. Come, let's go. 
Now, don't confuse what you're reading here with a modern system of RSVP because the connection is very loose, as we will see here in a moment. Here's something else to consider when we're talking about the kindness of God. The Father can honor the Son perfectly without the presence of any guests. Have you thought about that? Now, He doesn't need any guests in this particular illustration of a wedding feast because the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit have always enjoyed pure and unbroken fellowship from eternity past and will continue to enjoy unbroken and perfect fellowship into eternity future. There is no need for God to create anybody in order to feel complete. You see, He did not create you and me because He was lonely and because He needed to be complete and He needs to look at us and say, oh man, I need them really bad. No, that is not the case. He lacks nothing. The Bible says very clearly, Acts 17, verse 24. He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything. He lacks nothing. But the only reason, church, He includes us in His plan is because of His benevolence, His majesty, His infinite love, and His kindness. And that is what the parable is indicating here that Jesus wants us to understand. No greater honor exists than to receive such a distinguished invitation that's more like a decree. Now, to decline it is not only unthinkable, it's the ultimate act of betrayal. You see, again, this is talking about a summons. The invitees here are required to attend. Now, sadly, the first group of guests in this story show a complete disregard for the kindness of the king of inviting them. And these folks represent the Jews at the time. But I want you to know, church, that this group also represents people today who want nothing to do with this royal wedding, this royal invitation. Again, for some reason, we think that we have the autonomy, and by we, I mean people in general. We think we have the autonomy and the freedom to decline God's invitation for salvation. But, but we do not. Doing so will result in eternal condemnation, like this parable here represents. By the way, this solemn event will happen. According to John, an angel instructed him to write these words, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, verse 9. But tragically, as this parable here illustrates, many people prefer the temporary pleasures of his life. Say, I don't need that kind of a joy that God has to offer. I can find it on my own. And they decline, tragically, God's kind offer of eternal life through Jesus. We know what that offer is, church. God offers to rescue people from the condemnation and the control of sin. So if you're a believer in Christ, remember, sin no longer has control over your life. You are able to say no to sin, although we continue to sin because our sinful nature will not be annihilated until we get to glory. But we do still struggle with sin. But because we have been invited to the wedding and we are in the wedding, to use the same picture here, we have been freed from the control of sin, and also in the future, freed from the condemnation of sin. The Bible says there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So being in Christ Jesus means you have been delivered from the condemnation of sin and the eternal consequences of sin. And we know that because Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 3 that uh, we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, we're, we're, you're seated here, but spiritually you're seated in Christ in the heavenly places, meaning your position is that from now on, from the day you came to faith in Christ. Now, who, church, I ask you, in their right mind would decline such a kind invitation? Yet, many people do. Now, how we respond to God's kindness reveals the condition of our hearts. Because unless we come to faith in Christ, we remain dead in our trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians 2, 
verse 1. So obviously, the first question is when we are exposed to the kindness of God from the revealed Word of God is this. How have you responded to His kindness? While you're thinking about that, well, let me ask you the second question that pops out at us here from the studying of the text. Verses 4 through 5. How do you respond now to divine mercy? The decline from the original guests prompted the gracious king to issue a second call. Think about that. What would you have done? You and I would have said, you know what? You are off my list. But that's not what the gracious and merciful king does. He issues a second call, which symbolizes God's mercy. And the reason I say it symbolizes mercy is because these guys deserve permanent exclusion. And yet, he patiently reasons with them. He even explains to them, provides an incentive. Perhaps you misunderstood. But shockingly, the guests conclude, we don't need that. We don't need the joy of the king. We can find it on our own. And we know that because of the illustration of their farm, expressions like their business. So this is a reflection of human nature. God issues the second call and third and fourth and fifth, and people reject, people decline, people say, no, thank you, I can find joy on my own, I can find salvation on my own, I can go do it for my own efforts, my farm, my business, the cross is useless for me, I can get to heaven on my own. And we know, church, that true joy can never be found apart from Christ, apart from God. And yet people insist on this notion And when they do that, they fail to realize that God wants us to enjoy Him. He wants us to enjoy life in His terms. He wants us to have pure joy, everlasting joy. And, and that doesn't mean the absence of sorrow, temporary sorrow. It doesn't mean the absence of tears. It means the hope that there will be sorrow no more. It means that we enjoy the hope that one day we will live in a glorified existence, perfect fellowship with God, no more guilt, No more sin to deal with. No more separation. That is true joy. And that is what God is offering here. But we make the mistake, church, when we pursue happiness and joy in other things. And we do it all the time, even believers in Christ. We need to be constantly reminded. That's what happens when we, when we don't stay in the Word. When we don't stay in the Word and we go read the news every day, searching for, man, what's going on in the world, and then the joy is gone. We pursue happiness in possessions, in relationships, in the American dream. We reason, man, if I only land a job, if only this pain would go away, I would have true joy. If only I would have the spouse or the relationship, if only all of these relationships that are broken in my life were restored, then I would have perfect joy. In church, that is not the case. You can experience true joy right now. Why? Because you are at the table of the king. You belong in the kingdom of heaven. His joy is available to you now. In fact, He commands you to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice in case you missed it the first time. So we are instructed to rejoice, to make use of the joy of the Lord. And you see, church, I love my job. I love my family. My family brings me great joy, no doubt about it. But God is the ultimate source of my joy, and, and, and He is the giver of those blessings. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We're reminded in Nehemiah 8, verse 10. And Paul wishes for his readers, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, verse 13. And in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, we know the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. So church, the pattern is very clear. 
God invites people to his kingdom, among other reasons, because he wants us to experience true joy. Of course, when people are saved, he is glorified, but he wants us to experience true joy. And if you need a picture of the God of second chances, look no further than verses 4 through 5 here. This is a merciful God issuing the merciful call again to people saying, perhaps you missed the point. Your sinful heart is probably keeping you from understanding what this really is. This is an invitation for you to not only escape divine wrath forever, but to experience true joy forever and ever, something that you will never find apart from me. And here's a God of second chances. Thank God he doesn't deal with us according to what we deserve, because we deserve condemnation. We deserve to be excluded. But according to his merciful nature, he continually invites people to reconsider the rejection of him. The merciful king withholds judgment from these people who deserve to be excluded forever until their rebellion reaches the limit of his patience. See, God loves and endures forever. His patience does not. We need to understand that. And how we respond to God's mercy reveals the condition of our hearts because rejecting his call to salvation, again, only the first time already invites the wrath of God, neglecting him a second time and a third pushes the limit of his forbearance. And that's a very dangerous place to be. But people, for some reason, think, no, I'm going to choose another path. In the pantheon of religions that are available out there, I'm going to pick and choose whatever fits better for me. The problem with that church is that that doesn't work. Truth is not like that. So some of us receive not only a second chance, but a third and a fourth. Because his love endures forever. But his patience one time will eventually run out. So the question is, how have you responded to God's mercy. And we can carry that not only to the call of salvation, but the call of sanctification, the call of obedience. When we refuse to follow God's will for our lives and we're living in rebellion, we insist in a particular sin in our lives, and God is constantly asking us to reconsider that and constantly saying, please don't go there. There is danger where you're going. I speak from experience that God has given me plenty of chances to say and finally to realize, okay, God, I'm going to surrender. I better do that. I have no other option. I know I trust your love for my life. I know you're doing this because you love me. You're withholding that from me because you love me. So how have you responded to his mercy? While you're thinking about that, consider the third question. How do you respond to divine holiness? Because that's what comes next. In the parable here, verses 6 through 7. Divine holiness. Now, verse 6, I want you to know here. See, some just rejected, while others went the extra step, and they turned violent towards the, the, the preachers, because that's what happens when you issue the call on behalf of God. And Christ is describing the fate of some of these people. And we know from church history to what happened when people decided to call others to salvation and, and, and faithfully issue the call. But in the parable here, what we have is that the guests multiplied their guilt by resorting to violence, demonstrated that this was not really a misunderstanding of the invitation. They did not misunderstand what the prophets and in preachers were telling them, calling them to return to God, to repent. And no, they knowingly affronted the king. This is a, a willful rebellion affronting the generous monarch here, which triggered the anger of the king. And were resulted in their judgment. Again, this is an a clear picture of the holiness of God here. The images of destruction and fire picture the holiness of God. But you may think, Pastor, I think this king is too harsh. Why would God punish people for choosing another path? 
The answer is in verse 7, which pictures this uncomfortable divine attribute. The king was enraged at that type of rebellion, willful rebellion. This is not simply, uh, I'm going to choose another path. I'll, think, I'll pass on your salvation. This is willful rebellion. And this, this is the, the holiness of God on display here. It's an uncomfortable divine attribute. The image of a God who gets enraged. See, unbiblical preaching has confused us concerning this particular feature of the divine nature. When was the last time you heard a sermon about the anger of God? You may have heard of Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, famous sermon. But you may say, Pastor, that was for colonial America. There are different times. We're in a postmodern America today. Well, here we are in postmodern times, and his nature has not changed and will not change. Jesus points out that the king was enraged. He was angry, and he dealt accordingly against these unworthy guests. And you see, they were unworthy because they declined the invitation of the king. And church, the truth is, God's holiness frightens us. Bible characters fainted when they were exposed to this particular divine attribute, the divine nature of God. People run for the door when they hear about it in a sermon. Your body language demonstrates your discomfort. Anytime I preach a sermon on this divine attribute, and I share your discomfort because we're sinners. When we look at our lives, when we, when we see our own selves against the backdrop of God's holiness, then we will not be like the 51% of American Christians today that think that they're naturally good. See, when we look at our own lives through the perspective of God's holiness, the biblical, the right perspective, then yeah, we will understand that we don't deserve even to be alive. Now, and if you think this is the only instance that the Bible talks about the fact that God is enraged at sin, consider the following verses. Exodus 4, verse 14. The anger of the Lord burned against Moses, his beloved prophet. Moses, the lawgiver, the, the anger of the Lord burned against him. Numbers 32, verse 13. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, his own chosen people, living in sin. 2 Kings 13, verse 3. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. The image of a fire here. How about Ezekiel 7 verse 8? I will shortly pour out my wrath on you and spend my anger against you. Psalm 7 verses 11 through 13. God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. This is how God deals with unrepented people. Romans 1 verse 18. People say, well, is God ever going to judge our culture? The answer is God is already judging our culture. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven, present tense. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And Who can forget Hebrews 10, verse 31? It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How we respond to this feature, the holiness of God, reveals the condition of our hearts because it forms our view of human nature. You see, you will never have an accurate self-perception until you understand the holiness of God. No one can come to Christ until they see how holy God is. And how sinful we are. But here's the fourth question for us this morning regarding our spiritual health. 
How do you respond to divine grace? Verses 8 through 14, how do you respond to divine grace? Now, back to the parable here. Following the king's order, the slaves invited a second group of guests. Remember, that first group received judgment because they declined the gracious offer of the king. But now, the slaves invite a second group of guests, as many as the crew could find. And check this out, church. No prior goodness required. Prior goodness is not what gets people into the kingdom. Because no one possesses goodness from the, the, the perspective of God here. Some of you are very generous. Some of you are good people. But we're all sinners. And without the grace of God, we cannot make it to the kingdom of heaven. So this scene here pictures the universal invitation of the gospel. I don't want you to miss that. The good news must go to every nation. Every people group and every tribe and every tongue. We are called upon to make disciples of every nation, every ethnicity, the Bible says. Which means we need to learn their language. We need to send missionaries there who will learn their language, learn their customs, and, and not turn them into Westerners, but give them the gospel of Christ. So the other detail here is that the king would have supplied the proper garments for people to attend a wedding. But apparently one guy missed that, and the king came to him and, and confronted him, calling him friend. Again, there's, let's not miss the tenderness of God, even in how he confronts. People have a friend, how did you make it here without the proper garment, proper clothes? And check this out. He remained speechless. Why? Because God's holiness silenced him. And he is a perfect example of how people can never speak back to God. There's no argument. And this guy also symbolizes many who reject to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Because that's what we need, church, in order to get to heaven We need the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us. It's given to us. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not make it to the kingdom. What he's saying is you need something that you don't have. And that something is, is the righteousness of Christ that is going to be imputed in your life. It's going to be given to you. So this guy represents people who decided to make it to heaven without the righteousness of Christ. They think they can get in. And the fact that he is in the wedding here, the, don't get confused here. What this represents is that these folks attend churches. They have the appearance of being in the kingdom. They look Christian. They speak Christianese. They may even hold positions of leadership. But they never trusted Christ for their salvation. They're trusting in their own business, their own farms, like these guys that we read in the first part here, for salvation. Oh, what a tragedy. One day they will tell Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Matthew 7, verse 22. To which Christ will reply, depart from me, I never knew you. Matthew 7, verse 23. And that is the picture we see here, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. They represent eternal judgment. In church, this is a real place. This is not a state of mind. This is a real place, a place called the lake of fire in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 20, and chapter 20, verse 10, and other places too. Hell is a real place. The lake of fire is a real place. Hades is a real place where people actually go, although their bodies are in the grave. But look at the very last verse. For many are called, but few are chosen. The end of the story here prompted Jesus to reveal the main idea. This is the punchline, the main idea of the whole parable here. And what he means by that is very, very simple. He means exactly what he says. Many people hear the invitation. In fact, he called us to go and reach as many as we can 
with the gospel, with the message of salvation. But few are chosen. And by the way, there's a reason why this is in the passive voice. Few are chosen. Chosen by whom? By God. But look, wait a minute. The entire parable here been talking about people who chose not to go into the kingdom. So church, what we have here is beautifully laid out for us. The doctrine of election, the sovereignty of God, along with human responsibility, both at the same time. And you ask, I don't know how to reconcile those. Friend, let me share with you. When someone asked Charles Spurgeon, how do you reconcile divine election, the sovereignty of God, with human responsibility? You know what the answer was? He says, I don't need to reconcile friends. We don't need to reconcile two doctrines that are clearly explained in the same parable here, in the same paragraph. If we don't know where they meet, it's okay. God knows. We preach it like it is. So many hear the invitation, few are chosen. Not everyone will respond to the message. The point we need to remember is this. How we respond to divine grace reveals the condition of our hearts because apart from it, no one can be saved. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org, or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.